there is a a passage in the Sefer Achinuch in Parshas Emor. This is Mitzvah Shinvav. That reads as follows: the he that is the Torah. The Torah is the reason and the cause that we were redeemed from Egypt. We left Mitzrayim only for one purpose, and that is to get the Torah. So if the whole purpose of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the whole purpose of the Exodus was so that we could receive the Torah, then the order of the holidays is strange. It should be that the holiday of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, Pesach, should immediately be followed by the holiday of the receiving of the Torah, Shavuos. It should, should be that just as at Sukkot's time, we have a seven-day holiday. And then, when Sukkot is over, boom, immediately, there's another holiday, Shemini Yatzeris. So in the exact same way, now there should be seven days of Pesach. And then immediately on the eighth day, the Tachlis, we left Mitzrayim, we should receive the Torah. Why is there this massive break between Pesach, several weeks between Pesach and Kabbalah Satora, Shvus. Question number one, why doesn't Shvus fall immediately after Pesach? Question number two. This period, which we find ourselves in now, this period between Pesach and Shavuos, is known in the streets as the period of the counting of the Omer. The period of the Omer. So, we know that that word Omer is referring to a special korban, the korban ha-Omer. And the question is, what is the connection between the Korban HaOmer, which is brought at the very beginning of this period, and this break between Pesach and Kabbalah Satora. Somehow, the Korban HaOmer must be the reason that there's a break. So what is Korban HaOmer? Question number one, why the break? Question number two, what is the Korban HaOmer? When we understand that, perhaps we'll understand what the break is. Question number three. It's more philosophical. By this point in the Jewish year, we've gotten used to one-day holidays. Shabbos, one-day holiday. We're used to that. Tremendous Kedusha packed into a single day. We understand seven-day holidays. We've been through seven-day holidays before. During a seven-day holiday, you have to accomplish something much bigger than what you accomplish in a one-day holiday, and therefore more time is allotted. 
it seems that in the period between Pesach, the beginning of Pesach, and the receiving of the Torah, there are three separate holidays. There is Pesach, which is a seven-day holiday. Then there's Shuas on the other end, which is a one-day holiday, or if you live outside of the land of Israel, a two-day holiday. But then in the middle, there's this bizarre 49-day holiday. Now, what could possibly take 49 days? What is a 49-day holiday? What could you possibly need that much time to do? So, question number one, why the break? Question number two, why is the break associated with the Omer? What is the Omer? Question number three, what could possibly require so much time, 49 days? And question number four, this will be the final question. Today, according to all of the various approaches within the halacha, we are now in a period of mourning. There is no question, halachically, we have passed beyond Rosh Chodesh. There is no question, we are now in a period of halachic mourning, avelus. And we're mourning because during this period, there is no question, the students of Rabbi Akiva died. Now, if it was five or six or ten students, that would be a terrible tragedy. If it were a thousand students, that would be horrific. But Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 pairs of students. That's during this period, in one year, 24,000 of the greatest Torah scholars on the planet passed away. That's just about as many people as have been killed in every event here in the land of Israel from 1948 until today. So there was a massive destruction in the period of a few weeks. And because of that, we are in mourning. Why did God cram such a horrible horbin, such a terrible destruction, Dafka, into this period between Pesach and Shavuos, this period which is called the counting of the Omer. What's the connection between the Omer and one of the greatest destructions that's ever happened in, in Jewish history? Question number one, why the break? Question number two, <clears throat> why is it associated with the Omer? Three, why so long? And number four, how is it related to Rabbi Kiva's students? <coughs> the first question is actually addressed by the Sefer Achinuch. And he writes, right there in Mitzvah Shinvav, the following. He says, Im tishal, if you'll ask me, Im Cain, if so, if indeed, the whole purpose of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, the whole purpose of the Exodus, was to go get the Torah. Salamu anu matchilin oto asir, mi macharat ha-shabbos, v'lo mi He says, why don't we 
begin the counting of the Omer from after Pesach. And he explains, Hachuva, the answer is, Ki Yom Harishon Nit Yachid Kulo Lahaskarat Hanes Hagadol. The first day of Pesach is entirely set aside for remembering the great miracle. What's that? The Hu Yitzis Mitzrayim. That is the Exodus. The first day of Pesach is the day of the Exodus. Yom Hayitzis Mitzrayim. That's Kulo. We're entirely immersed in the miracle. We shouldn't mix anything else into that day because we want the entire flavor of Yitzhak Mitzrayim to fill our mouths on that first day. <coughs> so according to the Sefer HaChinuch, here's how it turns out. There really are three holidays here. The first holiday lasts 24 hours. And that is the first day of Pesach, the day which is the day of the miracle of the Exodus. That's holiday number one. The second holiday begins at sunset, right? Right when three stars come out after the first day of Pesach, that begins the second holiday. That's called Sfiras HaOmer. And the Sfiras HaOmer leads right up 49 days straight through, right, until the third holiday which is Shus. So now we understand why there's a break. There's a break because after you, res- after you see that God really runs the world, He's in charge, He split the Red Sea, He took the Jews out of a land where no one had ever escaped. Once we see that God really exists and is in charge, there's something necessary before you can actually accept the Torah that he wants to give you. And so it turns out, this 49-day break in between is really not a break, it's a project. And the project is some sort of a preparation for Kabbalah's Torah, for accepting the Torah. The question is, what exactly is that preparation? What is the Sphere Saomer? So answer number one, why is there a break? Because there's a preparation. Question number two, how is this related to Korban HaOmer? So, in order to answer how it's related to Korban HaOmer, you really have to ask two other questions. Both based on Midrashim in Vayikorabo. The first Midrash reads as follows. Amar Rabbi Berche, Rabbi Berche Tat, Amor Kodesh Boruch Moshe. Hashem said to Moshe, Leich, go, and morally Israel, tell the Jews, Keshaiti notein lachem etaman. When I used to give you the manna that you ate in the desert, Haiti notein omer lekol echad ve'echad. I used to give each one of you a measurement of manna called an omer's worth. Hadahu Damar, that's what's meant by the verse, Omer le Gugolis. Each individual received one Omer's worth of mana. Vakshav, and now Hashem says, 
Shatem notnim liet omer, and now that you're going to be giving me the omer, this is the korban haomer. Ainli ella omer echad mikulchem. I only require one omer from the entire Jewish nation. So the question which really answers the connection between this period and the Korban Omer, the first of those two questions is, what's the connection between the Omer and the Mana? Clearly there's some sort of a connection here. He gave us an Omer's worth of Mana, we give him back a Korban Omer. What is the connection? Second Medrash. This is a question which... If you're not asking, it's because you're asleep. There's a question that is on everybody's mind today. The Medrash asks, What is the merit that a Jew needs in order to hold on to the land of Israel? There's got to be something that we do in order to be pure enough to possess this land. And the Pesach in the Torah says, if we don't, have the schus, if we don't have the purity to possess this land, the land will vomit us out. He'll give it back to the Goyim. The Arabs will come and take it. It's a promise in the Torah. If that promise is not kept, that will prove the Torah is not true. So either we've got to do whatever needs to be done to keep the land, or God has got to take it away from us. The Medrash answers, what do you have to do to hold on to the land? Heavy Omer, I'll tell you. B'schus mitzvahs ha-omer. It's in the merit of the Korban Omer, this Omer sacrifice. Dichtiv gabeha, because the verse says, ki When you come to the land, how will you hold the land? If you perform the mitzvah of the Omer. So the second sort of sub-question, which is really an answer, is what is the connection between the Omer and the land of Israel? What's the connection between the Omer and the Mana? What's the connection between the Omer and the land of Israel? If we understood those two connections, then we would understand what the connection is between the Omer and this period between leaving Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt, and getting the Torah. So we'll begin an answer. To our great-great-great-grandparents who had followed Moshe Rabbeinu out of Mitzrayim, they wandered off into an unsown land, into a desert, sand, nothing there, no water, no food. The manna, which provided for their most essential need, food, represented the fact that Hashem is in charge and takes care of us. <clears throat> the mana taught us that everything we've got is really from a Kodesh Baruch. Unfortunately, when we left the desert after 40 years of wandering, so we lost the mana. We no longer received mana. When we came to the land of Israel, God told us, now it's up to you. Go ahead, till your fields, plant, make the land put forth fruit. On the one hand, 
there's a tremendous level of Kedusha in actually being involved physically in Olam Hazah. To actually get your hands dirty and make fruit come forth from the earth, there's tremendous Kedusha in that. And on the other hand, there's tremendous danger. The verse warns, don't say, God forbid, don't say, Kochi! It's my power, my strength, my military prowess, which gave us this great victory. God forbid to think that it's the great Israeli farmers who bring forth fruit, or it's the great Israeli army that wins victories. There's a danger once you get involved in physicality, and that is you can forget about the mana you can forget that it's all really a gift from God. It's all a gift from God. And therefore, God came to us and said, when I stop giving you the mana, when that reminder disappears, then you should start once a year as a remembrance giving me back one Omer. And when you give me back one Omer, you will remember that I used to give you an Omer per person when you were traveling through desert, and really, I'm still in charge. The Omer is there to remind us that everything is really a gift of Hashem. And if you look in the Chinuch, in the Sefer Chinuch, here in Mitzvah Shin Beis, that's what he says. Mishor Sheya Mitzvah, the reason for the Mitzvah is... So that we'll contemplate because of what we're doing. The great kindness that God does with his creatures. That every year, God creates anew, out of nothing, food for us, his creatures. Therefore, it's appropriate for us to bring to him a sacrifice mimena from that wheat. So that we can remember his great kindness before we have pleasure from that kindness. We should remember it's all really from him. The Korban Omer is appreciation. In Hebrew they say hakaris hatov. I recognize the good that he did for me. It's an appreciation. So I understand now the connection between the Korban HaOmer and the Mana. He gave me one Omer's worth of Mana when he took care of me. And now I should remember he's still giving me the Mana. And I remember that by giving him back one Omer. But what's the connection between the Korban Omer and holding on to the land of Israel. One of the most beautiful Gemaras I've ever learned is in the, the end of Kesuvus. Talking about the land of Israel. And the Gemara there says something astounding. Tana Rabbonin. Our rabbis taught us Le'olam, Yidor Adam Be'eret Yisrael. A Jew should always live in Israel. Afilu be'ir shiruba ovde kochavim. 
even if the city that you live in is mostly populated by non-Jews. And don't live outside of the land of Israel. Even if the, land, if the city that you're living in is mostly Jews. Better to live in Ramallah than in Borough Park. That's what the Gemara says. Mephorish, explicitly. Why? That's crazy. Why would I rather live right in Shechem than to live in Flatbush? Says the Gemara, Shekol Hadar Be'eret Yisrael, anybody who lives in the land of Israel, Dome Kemishi Yeshlo Eloka. It's as if that person has a God. It's as if he has a God when you live in Eretz Yisrael. And anyone who lives outside of the land of Israel, it's like somebody who has no God. No, no, what's this language? If I live in the land of Israel, it's as if I have a God, but I don't really have one. And if you live outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's as if you don't have a God. The Vilna Gon didn't have a God. Ramosha Feinstein didn't have a God. What's it saying? Explain the Achronim. Whether you live in Eretz Yisrael or you live in Chutz Laretz, you've got a God. You can't ever be closer to Him. He's all around you. The entire universe sits within Him. However, how much you're aware of his presence changes from Eretz Yisrael to Chutzlaretz. The Akron explain that when you're in Eretz Yisrael, from the moment you arrive, from the moment your plane lands, he starts to reveal his hand. You start to notice the footprints. Suddenly there's coincidence after coincidence after coincidence. Things that just cannot be explained rationally. And every place you look, ah, that was him again, that was him again. Doma, it's as if you can see, you feel that you've got a God. However, the Mikubalim explain that God's system of divine intervention works in a less conspicuous fashion in Chutz Laretz. When you live outside of the land of Israel, God hides. He interferes in your life just as much. But He always creates some sort of camouflage so that you can't really tell that it's Him. Right? Well, of course, like when I needed to go to Neve, you know, like, of course, you know, I, I got the plane ticket because, I mean, I had these points stored up for so long and they were just waiting there. There's always an explanation you can never really tell that it's God because he's hidden. It's as if you have no God. The land of Israel is a special place that God created for those people who need to know that they have a God. Why would someone need to know that they have a God? Well, let's say that you're a person who really values Hakar Satov, you really, really value appreciation. 
And when someone does something for you, you want to know so that you can say thank you. If you're that kind of person, you need to be in Eretz Yisrael. Because here in Eretz Yisrael, you can see the Hashkacha, you can see his hand, and so you can say thank you. And so, the Midrash says, what is the schus for staying in the land of Israel? If you're the kind of person who loves Hakar Satov, the Omer, if you're that kind of person, then Hashem says, well, you really need to be here. I'll let you stay so that you can do what you really want to do, which is to say thank you. So now we understand what the Korban HaOmer is. The Korban HaOmer is all about thank you. And so, so far we see we really have three separate holidays. We have the Yom Hanes, the day when God revealed that He exists, He's in charge, He runs the world, splits the Red Sea, takes us out. Then we have 49 days of thank you. We'll have to see why. And then finally we have the holiday of receiving the Torah. Another way of analyzing these three periods is as follows. There's the day when I am, to use the Hebrew, when I am makir, when I see, when I detect that God runs the world. A computer in Mitzrayim could have detected that it was God who was taking the Jews out. You don't need to be human. It was clearly obvious. A mathematician with a, a slide rule could have told you, this is God. This is not physics. A computer can be makir. But a computer can't move to the second holiday. The first day is about being makir, about recognizing. The second day is about being makir tov, about appreciating not only was something done, but it was done for me. That I feel in my heart a sense of appreciation. Computers can't appreciate. In order to move from the first day of Pesach to the beginning of the counting of the Omer, you got to be human. It's the beginning of becoming human. And of course, once I'm human and I appreciate what's been done for me, I start to feel love. You did all that for me. The next words that pass my lips are, what can I do for you? And then Hashem says, oh, I happen to have right here 613 mitzvahs. Would you like them? We're beginning to understand now why there has to be a 49-day break between the computer-like recognition that God runs the world and the very human words, what can I do for you now? Can I please have your Torah? Perhaps, in order to go from knowing that God exists to accepting His mitzvahs, 
we have to go through a process of appreciation, and that and only that will lead to Kabbalah's old mitzvahs, to accepting the mitzvahs. My teacher showed me an interesting passage in a holy book. The passage reads as follows. Mem tes yemeha omer, these 49 days of counting the omer, what do they correspond to? Now before I read to you the next half of the line, contemplate for a minute. Which prayer does a Jew say which constitutes Kabbalah's ol malchut shemaim? When I accept upon myself the yoke of heaven and the yoke of mitzvahs, what is that? Shema. Says this passage in the Zohar, the 49 days of the Omer, they correspond to the 49 words in Parshas Shema Yisrael. You have to add in Baruch Shem Kavod Machuso Le'lam Ve'ed equals one. Yeah, that's one, that's one extra word. That's the way the Kabbalists count. If you add that in, it turns out there are 49 words in Parsha Shema Yisrael and 49 days of the Omer. Because it takes 49 days to accept Omer Shemaim, to work up the appreciations that I want to do for the other. This would also explain an interesting passage in the Chobos Halavavos. This book, The Duties of the Heart, after the first chapter, where he basically presents an Aristotelian proof for God's existence, that is, he demonstrates there is a God, that is, he pulls off in a book what God did 3,300 years ago on the first day of Pesach by taking us out of Mitzrayim. He shows us there is a God. After doing that, so then he says as follows. He says, Since I showed you in the first chapter at the Chovah Lahamin Belev Shalem, the intellectual obligation that every person has to believe with a full heart, there's one God. And then in the second chapter of the book, Bi'arnu, Bishar Bechina, Et Darkait Bonu Betovot Hashem, I then taught you how to contemplate all the kindness that God does for you. The second chapter of the Chovos Halvavos, of the Duties of the Heart, it's a beautiful section. He just leads you through all the kindnesses that God has done for you from the day that you were born until today. So he says, now, having recognized that there is a God and passed through this period of the Omer, so to speak, appreciating what God does for us, now now we can discuss the obligation people have. When he realizes how much God has done for him, it's clear to him how much God has done, then we can talk about the next logical step, the and that is Kabbalah's Avodas Elohim, accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven, doing for God. You see from the Chobos Halvavos that there's three stages in becoming a firm Jew. God exists. That's a computer. And he did it for me. That's a human being. And therefore, I want to do back for him. That's Shuas. I'll give you one more example of this. If you look in the Mesilla Shasharim, the path of the just... So he discusses there how to become a perfect human being in 10 quick stages. And in the second stage, he talks about enthusiastically running to do God's mitzvahs. 
So there he asks, let's say I want to enthusiastically serve God, what do I have to do? How do I acquire Zerizus? And the Mesil Shaim writes as follows, Amna, What could cause this enthusiastic awakening inside of a human being? Is by looking at all the good things that a person does for us. I mean, that, that God does for us. Every moment, every minute, look at the kindnesses He's pouring upon me. All the wonders that He performs for me. From the time I was born, until the day that I die, look at the kindness He does for me. That will get me to do His mitzvah, says the Mitzvah Sharim. The more that I stare at and contemplate these kindnesses that he does for me, I'll more and more realize the great debt that I have to the God who does so much good for me. The you time and this will prevent me from becoming lazy and from weakening in my service of God. Since I can never do back for God everything that He did for me. At the very least, I'll thank Him and do His mitzvahs. So being from seems to require three steps. Now if this is true, this would then answer the third question, the imbalance in the holidays. We're used to one-day holidays, seven-day holidays. What's a 49-day holiday? In the few minutes that we've been speaking, I've already transmitted to you. It's only been a few minutes. I've already transmitted to you the entire philosophical concept. You now possess intellectually the whole understanding of why appreciation is critical. Do you now have all the appreciation you need? Absolutely not. But I, I explained it to you. Well, why not? And of course the answer is because the intellect, the computer, grasps instantaneously. The heart takes a little bit longer to catch up. Hakara, recognition that God exists, that can be done in a two and a half day seminar. Or in six weeks in Mechina. But to appreciate in your heart, now that you know He exists, all that He's done for you, that's a long project. That takes 49 times as long. To develop a good heart, a lave tov, that's a project. My teacher pointed out to me the following. The words, a good heart, lev tov. So, there's five letters in those words. Lamed beit, lev, tov, tes, vav, base. Five letters. In Hebrew, every letter has some sort of numerical value. Aleph is one, base is two, gimel is three. 
So add up the numerical values of these numbers. Lev Tov. Lamed is 30. Base is 2. That's 32. Tes. Another 9 brings you up to 41. Vav is 6. That's 47. And base leads us to 49. Because to develop a Lev Tov takes 49 times as long as intellectual mastery. The intellect grasps instantaneously. It takes a while for the body to follow. So now we understand what the break is, this period of counting of the Omer. We understand what the Omer is. This whole period is a period of developing appreciation. We even understand why it takes so long. But there is one looming question, which is, what does this all have to do with Rebbe Kiva's students? So let's just take a look at the two sources that discuss Rebbe Kiva's students. There's two. There's a Gemara, and there's a Medrash. And they contradict, in good Jewish fashion. <laughs> the Gemara reads as follows. This is Gemara Nyevamos, Daf Samach Beis. Mesu Talmidei Rebbe Kiva. The students of Rebbe Kiva died... Bless you. Because they did not relate to each other honorably. They did not give each other honor. Why did they die? They didn't honor each other. So that makes perfect sense. They didn't, they didn't honor each other. That's not nice not to give each other honor. Hashem killed them. But the Medrash and Bereshis Rabbah says that's not why they died. The Medrash and Breshis Rabbah, Samach Aleph Gimel, chapter 61, reads as follows. After the 24,000 students died, there was a chance the Torah would be lost. And so immediately Rabbi Kiva had to get himself some new students. And Rabbi Kiva gathered a handful of students. And before he started to teach them, he warned them, I don't want you to die like they died. And he said to them, Rabbi Kiva Mazira Talmidi Machadashim, he warned the new students. Harishonim, Mesu, the, the first students died, why? Because they were stingy. They were stingy, they didn't like to give. Since they didn't like to give, Hashem put them away. So now what is it? They didn't honor each other? Or they were selfish, they were stingy, they didn't like to give. The problem was they lacked. This, this trait of honoring other people, or they were selfish. What was it? So you have to understand, what exactly does it mean to honor somebody? Why do I give honor to you? The reason I honor you is, I perceive your importance to me and to the rest of the world. I see what you give to me, and I see what you give to the rest of the world. And I appreciate that. And I want to give something back. Minimally, I'll give back to you honor. The, the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos, Someone who learns from his friend, one chapter in a Jewish book, one halacha, he has to give back to him honor. That's the minimal payback. So, what do I do 
if I am a stingy person and I don't like to give, I don't want to give anything back. So if I'm stingy, what I have to do is I have to ignore your greatness. I can't pay too much attention to what you're doing for me or for my world. Because if I see it, I'll be obligated to give honor back to you, which I don't want to do because I'm stingy. I don't want to give anything to anybody. And therefore, what I do if I'm stingy is I blind myself to your greatness so that I don't have to give you back anything. It turns out here that when the, when the Medrash says the problem with Saras Ein, that's talking about the root of the problem. They were stingy. That was the root. What was the manifestation of that stinginess? The manifestation was they didn't give each other honor. In short, there's a three-step process here. I'm stingy. Therefore, I don't ever put myself in a situation where I could have appreciation. I stay far away from appreciation. So that's step three. I won't have to give back to you. It turns out that the key link here is I stay away from a karsatov. That's the tool that's used by stingy people to avoid having to give back. If this is the truth, then this would in fact explain not only why the students of Rabbi Kiva died dafka during the period when we're supposed to be working on our appreciation, but it would also explain the strange way that they died. Chazal tell us that the students of Rabbi Kiva died from a disease called Ascara. What's Ascara? Ascara is a paralysis that starts in the tip of the tongue, passes through the tongue, paralyzing as it goes, hits the throat, paralyzes the throat, closes the throat, and the person ends up being strangulated. All 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva died from this strange disease that first wiped out the tongue and then the airways. It first wiped out that device that was given to us to express appreciation, and then the air that passes over that device. It's interesting. The halacha discusses the question, what is the minimal expression of a karasatob? What is the minimal thank you that a human being owes another human being when something's been done for them? So, can you write a note? Can you just give them flowers? Right? Do a favor back for them? What's the minimum? Oh, so... The proof for what the minimum is is brought from a very strange mitzvah in the Torah, the mitzvah of Havas Bikurim, of bringing the first fruits. Right? Every year, the, when you have your first fruits, right, the mitzvah is that you bring them up to your shalim. There you go to the temple. In the temple, the coin is waiting. And you take this beautiful basket of first fruits and you have to show it to the Kohen. Now, Let's say that there's a million, two million, three million Jews, five million Jews living in the land of Israel. Uh, Let's say, you know, a million or two million people have to come and show their first fruits to the Kohen. Can you imagine the lines? It's worse than the post office. (laughs) So now, 
if it was up to you and you were like working for the the area, you're working for the city, and you have to like organize, you know, like how are people going to actually show their first fruits of the Kohen? And you have a degree, you have a master's degree in organization, yes. So now how are you going to do this? So what you do is you have, you organize people by age group, right? And you have all the 30-year-olds, right, get down, right, on, you know, in the hike position, right? And, you know, three, two, one, go, right? And the 30-year-olds run in groups of 20 each, right, past the Kohen, flashing their basket as they go, yes? Right, running by and saying, here's the fruit, and they go, yes? Okay, now, that would actually able, enable us to get through a few million people in only a few weeks. But what does the Torah say? The Torah is so impractical. The Torah says you have to take your basket, you have to stop in front of the Kohen, and you have to say in front of the Kohen, God brought me into this land, and he gave me these beautiful fruits, and I so appreciate everything he's done for me. And then you can walk forward. Why do you have to do that? Just flash, man, just put the fruits. Why do you have to stop there and talk? What this, what's it talking all about? Explain the Achronim, our, our, our later sages. The answer is because the minimal expression of a Karsatov is verbal. If you didn't say it, you're not Yotzi. And therefore, when you want to truly say thank you, you want to give honor to somebody, the major expression is with your mouth. The students of Rabbi Kiva stood up for each other. They did that. But they didn't do the minimal expression of a karasatov, the most essential expression, which is to say thank you. And therefore, since they didn't use their tongues, they lost them. Since they didn't use their air pipes for what they were created for, they lost them. Since they didn't use this period in time that was given to us to work on appreciation, they lost their time, they lost their lives. We are standing at this moment at a very unique period in the Jewish year. Today is not any other day. Today is a crucial day. If you want to be really from, you have to minimally pass through three stages in your development. You have to know that God exists and that he gave the Torah. Then you have to work for a long time on developing appreciation. Then finally you'll be ready to accept the Torah. Ramosha Chaim Lutzato, the great 18th century Kabbalist, writes in his book, The Das Tunis, that the history of the Jewish people can be divided up into four periods. And I'm going to conclude with this. A sharp thought to consider. The first stage in the existence of the Jewish people was pregnancy. And that was our time in Mitzrayim. Why is Mitzrayim compared to pregnancy? Because there was no light. We could not see God. It was pure darkness. At the end of a pregnancy comes a birth. And Mitzrayim was convulsed with the ten plagues. Finally, the womb ejected the Jewish people. 
And with Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people, were born. Then there's this period of adolescence, of growth. And that was the whole walk to Mount Sinai. That was the period of the counting of the Omer. That is our adolescence. It's a time when we learn to appreciate. And that really is the main challenge of adolescence. And finally, when we arrived at Mount Sinai, we became adults. We were ready to act on our appreciation and actually start to give back. May Hashem bless us with the courage and the willingness to work hard to make a successful transition from adolescence so that we can all arrive at Harsinai as adult mature Jews.